everyone, Dave here, bringing you the message on the big screen again tonight. Two weeks ago, I brought you a message on the big screen thanks to Shingles. This time around, uh, I bring you this message uh, thanks to COVID, unfortunately. But very fortunately, I am doing okay, which is great. And just the fact that we have technology and we're able to, to do this sort of thing is a really um, exciting and good thing at this time. The other bonus is that I don't have the bung eye that I had back when I spoke um, with, the, with Shingles. So um, that is a bonus. I don't look like a character out of the Lord of the Rings, or at least I hope I don't. Um, we are in our final week on a series on relationships. We've been looking at the various different types of relationships that we'll have throughout our lives. Relationships with other believers, relationships with our bodies, how is it we are to treat our bodies, relationships under the covenant of marriage, what does that look like? And tonight, as we finish out our series, we're going to talk about relationships for singles, if you are a single person. Now, if you are not single, uh, I want to stop you in your tracks before you start to tune out because if you're single, if you are dating someone at the moment, if you are engaged to someone at the moment or thinking about popping the question or if you're married or otherwise, this message has something in it for all of those relational states. Um, and so I want you to not feel like you need to tune out. Um, I've personally been in each of these relational states. Here's a few examples. Here is single Dave on the screen. Look at those beautiful little baby-like cheeks, right? Um, the next one along is Christmas time, and there's dating Dave with my, my lovely girlfriend at the time, Cherie. Uh, next one along is engaged Dave. Note to those of you who may plan engagement parties in summer, or engagement parties, do not do so in summer. That was a 40 degree night. And then finally, uh, it is married Dave right there. No, that's not married Dave at all. Uh, this, however, is married Dave. That's better. There I am, there's my beautiful wife on our wedding day back many years ago, picture perfect day. And um, just for a little bit of added bonus, I asked my eight-year-old son, could he draw a picture of dad on his wedding day? And here's what he came up with. Yep, there you go, I think he's got that just about right. That hairstyle could not be closer to the mark there. Um, Jokes aside, uh, we are going to be a little bit more topical tonight and we're going to make sure that we address some of the key questions about singleness and dating that you might have. Now, we're not going to be able to address everything in our time together, but this is going to be a real starting point for us. And I'd love it if we could address three common thoughts when it comes to being single or to dating or being engaged or married to someone. Because I think we can sometimes fall into the trap of generalizing and making assumptions about being single and dating and everything that leads up to that stage where you get married. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to debunk three myths that there are, that there are out there about singleness, dating and engagement slash marriage. And then after we've debunked those myths, we are going to answer this key question. How should I approach being single or being or dating or being engaged or married? What's my approach? And we're going to try and do this in about half an hour or so. Um, this could become my longest sermon to date. So Dave Luthy, if you just need to turn me off, the good thing is you can do so. You don't have to like give me the whole, you know, 
finish up now, Dave. You can just push a button and I'm off the screen. Uh, But my hope is that all of you listening to this tonight will come away with at least one takeaway, whichever situation you are in, and uh, you will be able to take at least one thing away. We're going to start by reading our passage. It comes from chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and it's starting at verse 25 to 40. So 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 40. Now about virgins. Now this is Paul who starts out writing about virgins. So we know straight away who this is addressed to, at least this part of the letter. Now in particular, when he's talking about virgins, he's talking about the young women at the time as a part of the culture who were put into arranged marriages. These were young women were virgins and they were married off to others in deliberate, intentional, arranged marriages. So straight off the top, here's who he's talking to. Let's continue. He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one by whom the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Paul's basically saying, this is my opinion here. This isn't a command from God, but... I'm giving it to you as someone who's received God's mercy and received God's grace and wisdom in my life. And so I'm giving it to you on good regard, not out of my own uh, effort or my own will. And now verse 36, let's keep reading. Because of the present crisis, I think that this is good for a man to remain as he is. Crisis is a strong word to use here. Uh, We don't know exactly what was going on at the time, what the present crisis was. There were a number of things happening in the Corinthian church. Um, But what we do know is that something significant was happening for Paul to write to the church at this time with this letter. They were in crisis mode. There was some sort of issue, some intense difficulty, uh, maybe even a present danger that was confronting the Corinthians at the time. All right, let's keep reading from verse 27 now. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concerned. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world how she, sorry, married woman, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might be acting honourably, not be acting honourably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. 
But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. Man, there are a lot and a lot of things in these 15 verses to talk about. There's so much going on here in every single verse that... I don't know about you, sometimes my head swirls a bit and I don't even know where to start. Well, we're going to start talking or looking at singles and being single and singleness. So let's start there. Um, I don't visit many bookstores these days. I'm not sure if you do either. Uh, but Kurong is probably the main well-known Christian bookstore franchise that we have here in Queensland. And these days, if you walk into a Kurong store and you head to the relationship section, there is going to be a plethora of books on relationships. So many, truckloads of them. But the thing about the majority of these books is that they'll often be about one particular type of relationship. Now, I did a web search for the keyword relationships on Kurong's store online. And the first thing to note here, as we put the screenshot up, is that this search yielded 1,624 results. So over 1,500 results for relationships. But here's the first five books that came up from that title, uh, from that search. Marriage by Paul David Tripp, The Great Sex Rescue, Outdated, Find Love That Lasts When Dating Has Changed, Married Sex, A Christian Couple's Guide to Reimagining Your Love Life, and number five there on the list, An Impossible What? Marriage. Now, I'm sure these are all good books, but what did they all have in common? Well, they're all about dating or marriage when it comes to relationships. There was not one book there that had in anywhere in the title anything about being single. And I think that this is actually a real problem when it comes to the church at large today. There's a strong Western church culture that kind of suggests either directly or indirectly that marriage is that ultimate human relationship that we need to, as Christians, seek out in life. And the problem with that type of thinking is that it doesn't consider the very real call to being single that some Christians may sense over their own lives. And this is the first myth that I want to debunk tonight, that being single is like having a disease. You know, this is how we might treat people who are single in the church. It's like, you know, if you're single, you've got some kind of disease, you know, we have to cure you of that disease. And the way we do that is by finding you a marriage partner. The answer to your relationship situation is just to find yourself a partner, we'll stop you being single, and then you'll be okay. But being single is not a disease. And Paul, the guy writing this letter to the Corinthians, he knows what it means to be single. Now, Paul chose in his lifetime to actually remain single. And he speaks about the value of those who are single in verse 32. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. 
An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Paul is saying here that there's actually an advantage to being single. And that is that you don't have to worry, in his eyes, about the concerns of the person that you're married to. Now, if you're married, you've made a commitment before God and before other people and before your spouse, obviously, that you will love and serve, emphasis on the serving, them for all the days of your life until death do you part. That's the commitment you make if you are married to someone. And all that serving stuff that happens in marriage without going into the detail of it, that's not always the simple stuff. Sometimes it can get really messy and complex And it usually involves dying to yourself in many ways and considering the needs of your spouse first. You know, if Cherise had a really big day and I walk in the door from work, sometimes she'll turn around and say to me, I'm out, I've just got to go for a walk and get out of the house. Now, you know, dinner might not be ready, Uh, the house might be in a bit of a mess, there's a whole bunch of things that could be going on. Uh, But I, as her husband, need to consider her needs And let's face it, that's just hard to do sometimes because we all have our own concerns, our own expectations, our own ideals when it comes to relationships. And Paul here is saying that if you're single, you don't have those concerns of a spouse. Your interests can remain devoted to God. You can serve him apart from a marriage partner. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't serve other people, but if you're single, you won't have that one special relationship, your marriage, uh, which is prioritized over and above other human relationships. And so I want you to consider something this evening, that there actually may be some people who genuinely have a call to singleness, even sitting here right now in this building. I know a Christian woman who's chosen to remain single um, because she felt like God had called her to that, even though a couple of guys were interested. I've known people who haven't had the best marriage relationship, um, have divorced and have chosen not to remarry and live the rest of their life single. Now, it's worth noting here that Paul isn't saying that being married or being single is about right or wrong. It is not about that at all. You are not in the wrong if you are married or if you're single. Paul says, he who marries does right, but he who does not marry does better. Those are his words. And what he's saying, when it comes to marriage versus singleness, it's not about good or right versus wrong. It's actually about good versus better. It is good to get married. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Marriage is great, in fact, and we're going to talk about that soon. But he is saying here that when it comes to your relationship with God, it's actually better, as far as devotion is concerned, to be single because you're able to be concerned about the Lord's affairs and how you can please the Lord. So here's the myth that we want to debunk, that being single is like a disease. If you're here this evening and you have a sense that singleness might actually be what God could be calling you to, then you need to know that this is not wrong. This is not a bad thing. God actually uses singleness for his good. And that's an exciting thing, right? 
And as far as the church at large is concerned, not just our church, the church at large, I think that we should be a bit more aware and sensitive to the reality that there are those people in our churches who are currently single who may actually not be looking for a husband or a wife. And that is actually okay. We don't need to set our friends, all of our friends up or force them into relational situations that they maybe don't want to entertain. And the other thing to say is that if you're single and you felt judged or criticized by the church for that single status, then I want to apologize on behalf of the church uh, for those words and those feelings that have been put on you because they are not right. Because being single is not a disease. It is actually a blessing from God for God. And this is what Paul is saying. Singleness is this gift. It's a true gift and it comes from him. Now, if you're single right now, but you have a strong desire to find a marriage partner, then that is a good thing as well. Dating. This is the way, this is the really intentional way that you are going to go about finding that partner for life. It's by dating. Let's move on to that. Uh, I remember the early days of dating my wife, Cherie, like that yesterday. Uh, Such memorable times. We did so many enjoyable things as far as, you know, those early feelings and romantic moments as a dating couple. You know, we'd hang out at the beach together, hang out with friends. We'd go to concerts and events. Um, We'd spend hours on the old dial-up phone and punch punch in phone with the cable and everything sometimes we'd spend so long on the phone that i'd fall asleep on the other end of the line Um, those early days were just so beautiful and enjoyable and carefree dating days in many ways we were wrapped up in each other and and focused on ourselves and enjoying um, these carefree moments and growing our relationship together But as time went by in our dating relationship, we realized that all those lovey-dovey feelings, they actually weren't going to last forever. And as we we got to know each other more and more, we began to see where each other's shortcomings were. And we actually began to see that our relationship as boyfriend and girlfriend, it actually wasn't picture-perfect. The shine started to wear off a bit. And then we realized if we were honest about working towards getting married and committing to each other for the rest of our lives, that our dating relationship was actually about so much more than just focusing on each other all the time. And this is the second myth that I want to debunk tonight, is that dating is all about you and the person that you are dating. Now, you might be saying, Dave, that's crazy talk. Of course, dating is about the two people who are engaged in dating. Well, you're right to a degree, but let's see what Paul has to say. Verse 34 here. He says, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. And then later on in verse 35, he says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that may, you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's talking here for both unmarried and married people. And the key word that I want to highlight for us is devotion. The word devotion means love, loyalty, and enthusiasm. And Paul here is telling us what our aim is in our relationships whether we're married or not. And that is this word devotion, 
devoted to the Lord. The New Living Translation version of this verse has Paul saying, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Now, being devoted to God isn't easy when you've got that person, that special person in your life that you're dating or that you are engaged to. That person takes extra energy and effort and attention and part of your devotion. Now, Ash spoke about this last week in the context of marriage, that sometimes we can place or tend to think about relationships, particularly marriage, at a higher position than our relationship with God whether we're dating, engaged or married. And when that happens, it's actually a really dangerous place to be because those human relationships can then become idols in our lives that we end up serving. Now, I'm not saying that we should neglect our boyfriends and girlfriends and spouses, I think, but, I, but I do think this is a pretty clear warning for us to take. And I say this especially if you are dating someone right now, whether it's been for a week or for a year or multiple years, we've got to be careful about how we prioritize dating in the grand scheme of relationships because dating is actually not all about you and the person that you are dating. Dating is more about God than it is about your boyfriend or it is about your girlfriend. If we can understand this biblical truth that Paul is telling us here, that our aim is to live that life devoted to God first, then you're going to set yourself up for real success in your dating life. You are going to set the tone for that dating relationship that's centered around God. And that means so many things. It means healthy boundaries. It means realistic expectations between you and your partner. It means that sort of love that Jesus calls us to, that not self-seeking, generous, not proud, not boastful, not arrogant, not envious, all of that stuff. And so that's myth number two debunked. The dating is not all about you and your boyfriend or your bae. It is more about God than them. Now, before we go on to the final myth that I want to debunk tonight, I want us to have a quick look at what Paul says to engaged couples in this passage, okay? So if you're engaged or at the moment, if you're engaged to someone or you're thinking about maybe popping the question at some point in the future, whether it's a month or a year from now, here's Paul's advice for you. And we're reading in verse 36. He says, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. You know, Paul is basically telling the Corinthians that if you can't control yourselves, if you've already got your marriage arranged and set up and your passions are too great and you feel like you should ought to marry, then that's not a bad thing. Go and get married. Notice Paul doesn't just say, if your passions are too strong and that's it, then go and get married. He says, if you've already come to the decision that this person is the person that you want to marry and spend the rest of your life with, um, and you're finding it hard from a physical perspective, then the right thing to do is to get married. He gives them an order, the Corinthians right here. You know, people are getting married so much later in life than ever before. Engagements are getting drawn out longer than ever before, sometimes for years and years. 
Now, I'm not saying that you should only be engaged for a set amount of time before you get married. There's nothing in the Bible that gives us an exact time frame or exact details as to the perfect amount of time to be engaged for. Uh, For some couples, it's going to be a longer time for their engagement. For other couples, it's going to be a much, much shorter time. But this is wise advice that's coming from Paul here. He's a single guy and he's been observing the way that these engaged couples in the Corinthian church have been behaving. The other side myth about engagement to bring up here is this expectation that you will have other key areas of your lives all set up and lined up before you get married. You know, people say, oh, I need to finish my uni degree. I need to get my career job. I need to buy a house. I need to get... $50,000 worth of savings in my bank account. When I've done those things, I'll be ready to get married. Well, that's a secular worldview of engagement and marriage right there. Uh, When Sheree and I, when we got married, we inherited a bunch of old furniture uh, and we didn't even have a couch to start our married lives together. And the final thing I want to say um, when we're talking about engagement here is that if you're engaged or if you're thinking about engagement, And that is that you are not on your own. Reach out to others in your dating and in your engagement. Reach out to them for advice. Find people that you trust. It might be a parent. It might be a family member, a family friend, a grandparent. It might be someone in the church. Ask some questions. Run run things by them. Marshall Siegel, a writer, he wrote this. He said, after embracing and implying the first and greatest commandment, what is the first and greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind and strength. After doing that, I have found that the golden rule in dating is this. Lean hard on the people who know you best, love you most and will tell you when you're wrong. Okay, so that's where we're at there with dating and engagement. The final myth is this, that life will be easier when I get married. When we think about weddings, we think about big life events, and that's what they are. You know, thanks to technology, now we're able to create and capture these beautiful, special moments. If we're talking about mountaintop moments, you know, your wedding day is going to be one of those absolutely precious moments in your life that you will reflect back on and look back on. But behind all the visual beauty and the joy of marriage is the misconception, I think, that's often underlying that life will be easier when I get married. Verse 27 and 28. A pledge to a woman, Paul says, do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Paul's actually advising the Corinthians here to not get married. And we've got to remember there was a present crisis happening at the time, so keep that in mind. But I want to focus on the end of verse 28 here. Paul says, those who marry will face many troubles in life. Doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Shereen and I went to Fiji for our honeymoon the day after we got married. 
Amazing spots. And one of the one for one of the weeks in Fiji, we actually took this boat out to this small island and we got to stay on this island in this hut that was overlooking the beach and the crystal clear water and there was activities to do all around us. You could literally walk from your hut down onto the beach, stick your head in the water, um, and, and there was this marine life everywhere. It was just beautiful, this place. But it was about 10 days or so into my married life that I realized I had these feelings. I was a bit agitated at what was happening one day um, in our communication with Cherie. And I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but I had this irritable sense come over me while we were on this picture-perfect island for our honeymoon. The two you know, different situations couldn't have been more contrasting. And it took me a while, but I eventually realized that I had this underlying expectation that when we got married and here we are on our honeymoon and everything is going to be better. Everything is going to be instantly kind of not perfect, but much, much better. Sure, I knew there'd still be life problems to deal with, but you know, now I had a partner to help me deal with them. And while that's true, the underlying belief I have was that all of life's bigger problems would basically disappear when I got married and life would be better in every single way. Now, sure, life was better with my wife. Life still is so much better with my wife. I couldn't imagine life without her. But all my problems did not go away when I got married or when I got engaged. Instead, you know what? The opposite actually happened. I began to see who I really was because of my wife. I began to see that she would bring out the best in me for sure, but often amongst all of that in daily life, the worst in me would come out as well. Paul says, if you marry, you're going to face trouble in your life. He's basically saying marriage is not as easy a path as singleness. Have a think about that. And so that's myth number three debunked. All of your problems don't go away when you find a life partner. All of your problems do not go away when you get married. Now, I don't say this tonight to make us look at marriage in a gloomy light. I think it's an important prompter for us when we look at marriage to remember, as Ash said last week, marriage is not the end goal when it comes to relationships. We should expect there to be difficulties and problems. But you know what? There is real beauty in working through those things together with your spouse and growing through those situations and learning and loving in different ways. Okay, so knowing all of this and having debunked those three myths, before we finish our time together, I want to address this key key question for us. How, knowing this, how should I approach singleness? Dating, engagement, and what about marriage? What's my approach here? How do I go about life if I am currently single? The main relationship that you and I need to prioritize in this lifetime. That's the reminder. And it's our relationship with God. If you're single and the gift of singleness is seriously something that you might be considering, 
your approach isn't to lean into your own bubble of, of singledom and, and, and cuddle up in there. Um, if you're single and ready to mingle, like you're like, I, I want to meet someone right now, let's go. Um, your approach isn't just to try and get the attention of that guy or that girl that you like. You're not to go out there and just try and flirt with them at every instance. Um, if you're dating someone right now or you're engaged to be married, or even if you are married, you actually might be disappointed with this answer. But our approach when it comes to our relationships is seen in verse 35. And that is to live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. To be devoted to God in body and in spirit. This is our approach that we are to take. As followers of Jesus, this is our call to be devoted to him above every other relationship we'll ever have in our lives. And tonight, wherever you're at in your life and in your relationships, Jesus does this. He invites you to come to him. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will do what? I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is inviting each of us to open the doors of our hearts to him when it comes to relationship. He's a relational God who desires relationship with us. Like a father who wants to protect his little daughter or his son, God wants us to come around him in our own lives. And so to finish with, I think it would be really great for us to have a time of prayer together for all of our relationships that we find ourselves in. With other believers, our relationships with our bodies, those who are single, those who are married, those who are dating, those who are engaged, everything else. And most importantly, if you are a follower of Jesus this evening, your relationship with God, the living God. And if you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, then as I said before, he's inviting you to come to him tonight and place your faith in him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of prayer together now. And what I'd love is that if everyone was able to participate in this time. So we're going to have some light music playing in the background. So band, I want you to not feel like you have to go up on stage. Stay where you are. Be involved in this time of prayer. Guys on the sound desk, the same thing. And what I'd love to invite you to do is to pray together with those that are around you if you're comfortable with doing that. If it's your first time here or, or if you don't feel comfortable with praying with other people, that is totally okay. What I want to invite you to do is just where you are, just to take some time to sit and maybe even pray by yourself. Okay? But for those who want to be involved here, let's pray for each other, for our relationship with God and our relationships with others. And let's commit them all to him. So let's pray knowing that he actually wants the best for you and for me when it comes to our relationships with other people in life. He does want the best for you. If you're single right now and you're a little bit disappointed, he wants the best for you. If you are dating right now and it's not everything it's cracked up to be, uh, he wants the best for you. If you're married, same thing. Engaged, same thing. Okay. So let's spend about five minutes or so praying and then Dave is going to come back. He's going to pray to close our time praying together and then the band's going to come forward and we can worship our God together to finish our time out.
If you want to move your chairs around, feel free to do so now. We'll put some music on and uh, let's start praying in small groups together. Bless you guys.